What is up, my friends? Welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers, gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 10 to 17, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 20th year of marriage. So, yep, I'm in the thick of it, and I am working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. This episode is brought to you by The Adventure of Fatherhood, helping men discover their powerful fatherhood role and build their fatherhood skills. The role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, find joy and have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is my friend, Gary Harvey, and we talk about his family legacy property, his family business, and how as a father and man, how to stand in the moment and provide what the moment needs. Enjoy meeting my friend, Gary. All right, you guys, it's Monday morning, and I'm super pumped to be talking to Gary Harvey. Gary, welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes. All right, how you doing? Man, I'm doing so good. I know we were supposed to meet last week, and right before Thanksgiving, we had stuff come up, and so just thank you for meeting with me today. I've really been looking forward to having a conversation with you. Yep, same here. Been looking forward to it. So right out the gates, I just got to say, you know, Gary has a really special place in in my heart, my mind. We had a moment together. Both Gary and I are in a group called Rise Up Kings. And at this point, Gary serves as a leader in a lot of these events. And I had one of the most transformative weeks of my life a few months back when I went to the Forge. And there was a moment where you, Gary, you were the leader of this little group of three, and we were supposed to come up with this statement. And I was kind of defaulting, leaning into like an outward version of me, not necessarily the true authentic Ned. And you grabbed me by the shoulders and looked at me in the eyes and you would not accept a facade. You would not accept anything fake or forced to the point where then you pushed me, you pushed me, you pushed me. And I started crying when I said what I needed to say, but from a true core of Ned. And so just right out the gate, thank you for the work that you've done to be in a position to challenge another man in that way. Well, man, it was a honor to step in that point at that time. And just knowing that God, when he calls us to do the difficult moments, you know, that we act in obedience. Mm. And that's what I've been learning through this journey of mine through Rise Up Kings is to act in obedience. Because sometimes it's the hard stuff that we really don't want to tell somebody, but that's what God is calling us to do. Yeah. Interesting to say obedience. You know, I did a devotion with my kids this morning. Our pastor did a talk yesterday on giving. And one of the things that he brought up was the very end of Ecclesiastes where King Solomon says like, dude, I had it all. I did it all. And at the end of it, all that matters is fear God and be obedient. And so I read that with my kids this morning. It's like, do so much. And then at the end of it all, it's fairly simple. It's not hard. I mean, it's hard to do, right? Being obedient is hard to do, <laughs> but it's fairly simple. So in your personal journey, the last few years, has there been anything that's helped you to operate more in that fear God and be obedient so that you could be present in a situation like you and I had? Well, I think through that, time of going through these forges and volunteering, Mm. I get re-confirmation, just like with what you just said. By me standing in that moment, that gives me the confidence that, yes, I'm following God's obedience. Mm. You know, to stand there 
in your face and not accept that. And to sit there and stand firm, even though when it was uncomfortable for me, but yet that's what God is calling us to be. You know, Jesus wasn't comfortable on the cross. Yeah. He stood in agony and pain, but yet, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they have done. And so sometimes stand in that moment to really see you to come from that true, authentic place that God wants you to be from and to be able to stand in that moment with you and do that and be obedient to God. And then the confirmation afterwards just affirms that that's I'm walking in that obedience to him. Man, what a beautiful way to state it. I just wrote this down. I love it. To stand in the moment. So like to be obedient and to maybe rise to the occasion of a man is you know what to do. It may be uncomfortable, but you stand in that moment. And men, as you hear this, how often do we just need to stand in the moment? It might not even be that we need to say something or take an action necessarily other than our presence to be standing in the moment and it may be uncomfortable. And now see, for me, my experience was not that you were uncomfortable at all. So I think that's also good for us to know is like, if you felt uncomfortable, possibly, right? You've done it a few times, so maybe less and less, but that doesn't change that you're doing the action you knew you needed to do to help elevate another dude. Right. I mean, the more I do it, the more, yes, I can accept that role. Yeah. But I still get uncomfortable. (laughs) You know, I still in that moment because, okay, I see I see Ned's feeding me some BS here. So do I stand firm? Do I push Mm -hmm. in? And I'm like, yeah, I need to do this. I don't need to back down. (laughs) I love it. And that's what now I'm trying to teach my children Mm -hmm. is to stand firm in that obedience and Mm -hmm. not back down. Mm -hmm. Man, so good. All right, I'm going to ask you, blast out a few questions to you. How old do you find yourself today? How old do I find myself? Man, I feel like I'm in my 20s. I just feel blessed. That's good. I feel I'm in my 20s with the wisdom of a 50-year-old. Yeah, love it. Love it. Okay. How many years have you been married? Going on 33 years. Woo! Man, that that is one of the greatest gifts to give the world. Yes. That's incredible. Me and my wife... We started dating freshmen in high school. No way. You know, we had our rough patches throughout the whole dating and marriage, but we got married at 18 and now we have three kids. My oldest son is 32. Of course, you could imagine she got pregnant during high school. I chose to stay because there again in my childhood, my mom passed away when I was young and my dad kicked me out when I was 15. So I wanted my children to grow up with a father and not yeah. feel the abandonment. Hmm. So chose to get married and I believe it's all God's will. And by his blessing, we've survived all the ups and downs. So I got a 32 year old son, a 28 year old daughter and a 23 year old daughter and a two year old granddaughter. Wow. Grandpa Gary. Yes. yes. So As a grandfather, how did things shift for you? So you're a father, your kids are grown, you went through those stages. Becoming a grandfather, is there this sense of purpose around what it means to be a grandfather for you? Yeah, the purpose is just love. Hmm. I mean, when you look back, there's so much that I put work above everything. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I thought, because we're taught as kids, as young, you know, to be a man, you got to work for a living. You got to provide for your family. They don't talk about being there emotionally. They don't teach you to be there for your kids or that they just want to spend time with you. And so much we put, well, we can do that later. We can do that later. And before you know it, them years are gone. So with my granddaughter, man, I stop and take time out anytime she wants me to be there for her. I realize that love. They just want that time with you. Yeah. So she lives close to you then? Yeah. We live all the Harvey compound. All my kids live on the property. We have 340 acres. Oh, my God. And my granddaughter comes to work with me. And matter of fact, she's hearing me talking. She's wanting to come in now to see Papa. Oh, my gosh. Gary, this is incredible. I've been talking more about this. Like, what does it look like to have a family property? I even brought it up to my kids last night because, I mean, this is a new concept to some level, but it's been coming up more randomly. And I share it with my kids and there's kind of this American, like, oh, well, we're kind of planning on going to college and then getting a job and like moving wherever we wanted to move. And so we started playing out, well, you could have friends and your kids are going to have friends. What would that look like for it to be you're still spending time with your brother and sisters or your kids are spending time with their cousins. And and they do feel this a bit more because we moved here to Hawaii and so they don't see their cousins as much and, and there's this longing, et cetera. Break down, when did this 340 acre piece happen and what does that living situation look like? Did you pitch it? Was everybody into it? What does that look like? Well, I ended up buying the property in 2016 and I never really pitched it of everybody per se living mm-hmm. on the compound. Mm-hmm. I didn't try to force it on them. I didn't try to push it. And then the kids started asking me, well, dad, can I have a piece of property to stay on? You know, I want to stay close by. And then so it just kind of dwarfed into that. And we even moved my mother-in-law from Texas. She's on the compound. She has her own place. Wow. And what state are you guys in? In Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Okay. And I'm working on my dad of getting him moved in. Wow. So everybody, all of our grandparents who are alive, there's only my dad, my mother-in-law. Everybody Mm -hmm. else has passed away. Okay. We're trying to get them, everybody moved in just to be able to be there on Thanksgiving. We just go down to one person's house. We enjoy family and fellowship. It's pretty awesome to be able to have that type of environment. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Just incredible and inspiring. And I think a challenge to help us see that this break up the family. I mean, not only are we breaking up homes, but we're also like families are living all over the place. And what if we were to do life together longer? And it's not just my kids are living with me 18, but my granddaughter is going to work with me. You know, like these things are important and an opportunity Man, incredible. Any other thoughts before I jump into some other questions around the property or what that feels like, looks like, or the importance of that? Well, just the importance to me, it's just, I thank God every day I drive home. Mm. I get to pass by my kids every day. Mm. So it's truly humbling for me that he's allowed that to happen. Now, agreed that God allowed that to happen, but obviously we all have opportunity to make choices every day. Yes. What consistent choices have you made to put yourself in a position where your 23 to 32 year old kids would like to be doing life with you? Well, I think with that is one, just having the mindset. Cause when I first started and I told them I was buying the property, mm-hmm. I didn't tell them about them. I said, this is going to be a legacy for the grandchildren. 
This is going to be a legacy for future generations to have this property. I want to set it up. I want to put it in a trust. I want this to be a legacy for future grandchildren to be able to come. And with that in mind, I think it started to click with them as, you know, why can't we be a part of that? Hmm. Why would they even ask themselves that, though? Well, I just think because the norm is to move off, like you said. That's what society has told you know, hey, you go get a degree, you go to Alabama, you go to Florida, you go to wherever you find work. And that's just a typical mindset because that's what I did. As soon as I graduated, I started traveling all over the states working and I was away from my family. And that's the typical mindset. Yeah. But the kids trust you. There's a clear and I think that's kind of what I'm asking is they trust you. Why do they trust you? I think because of just the consistency of me always being there for him. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, a great example of that is being married 33 years. Like it, being yes. married is the hardest thing. <laughs> the hardest yeah. thing. And it's very easy in our culture to just be like, yeah, things are hard. Let's just not stop doing this. But I think that that foundation, whether it's spoken or unspoken, that you're giving your kids for them to see that is incredible. Um, and so I know trust is built there, but you leaning into that, that you've been there for them for their life is remarkable. And the yeah. fruits of that, you know, are showing right now. Yeah, because it's sad to see. You see a lot of marriages, they get divorces after their kids have left. Right, right. Because we also have that mentality is to put your kids first. And that's wrong. Mm. Your spouse should come first. Yeah. Because your children are going to leave you. Even though we're on a 340 acre property, they don't live with me. Right. I mean, there's sometimes I go a week without seeing some of my kids. It's seldom, but they have their lives, they're living, they're doing their things. Now, I may see them here at work, but as far as just coming over and, hey, what are you doing? I may go a week without even going to one of their houses or they come to mine. Which is so cool. Even to say that, to say a week is like, you know, not a long time. Mm -hmm. So you just made a comment. So let me ask you this. What is it that you do for a living and how long you've been doing it? While I'm in the construction side of things, we build ASME pressure vessels for refineries, gas plants, food processing. We do a wide range, anything ASME coded where you need piping, fabrication, skid modules. I started doing that when I was 18 right out of high school and started my own business in 2007 and just been going ever since. Beautiful. And then it sounds like you said some of your kids work with you as well. Yeah, my oldest son works for me. He's actually in a job today in Big Springs, Texas at the Alon Refinery. We're doing a job out there. Okay. And my daughter handles all the payroll and accounts receivable, my oldest daughter. Then my youngest daughter, she doesn't work for me. She's tried working here, but I guess dad giving her orders is different than... <laughs> she's not ready for that yet. <laughs> yeah, she's she's still adjusting. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, you know, that's the other thing I've been talking to my kids about is because we have family meeting once a month. And so one of the things I brought up is, hey, I just want to plant these seeds in your mind. One of them was a legacy property. And the other was most of the years I talk about my business. This is my business. And I've been running an insurance brokerage for about 15 years now. And I'm not saying it has to be that, but any entrepreneur thinking less about I'm going to sell my business one day and then have all this money to do like, well, I don't know what, but am I building a business that my daughter's husbands could work at, not because they're a loser and needs a job, but because there's a place that they could come thrive if it was the right setting. So as a business owner, starting to think through that, 
Am I building a business that my children and or their spouses could thrive at? And just that continued, like, like your granddaughters at work with you right now. I mean, these are really incredible things for fathers to be thinking about in what is their five-year, 10-year, 15-year plan versus just building something to sell it. So thoughts on the benefits of this business you've built? Yeah, well, I've kind of bounced back and forth between that because originally I wanted it to be a family legacy to okay. be carried on. But the more I grow, I don't know if I really want to force that headache upon them. Mm. So interesting. So what do you mean by that? Because any business is going to be a headache. Is that what you mean? Or what's the alternative? Sell it and everybody has enough money to just live? I mean, I don't think that's what you mean, probably. Well, no, I don't. I mean, sell it. If I did sell it, maintain the property, put it in a trust. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But still, they got to find their own passions. Yeah. Of what God is calling them to do. Just because I selfishly want them to take over this, that may not be what God is calling them to do. Yeah, I can understand that. And now if God is calling them to take this over, then I'm more than happy to let that be the case. But I will say this, I forced it upon my son Mm because, you know, being the male. Yeah, yeah. And he's not like me. He's Mm -hmm. a different To be honest with you, I wish I was more like my son. He was, and I'm becoming like that. He's more emotional. I mean, he still gets in there and works hard, but he's more in touch with the emotional side of things where I was just so standoffish Mm. because I grew up in a hard way. Right. And yet I punished him in my younger years for being that emotional. I remember coaching him in football and he didn't want to play. And I kind of forced him to play Mm -hmm. because that was me. I I played football. So here I got him lined up in sixth grade. He's crying. He doesn't want to play. And I got all the kids. I'm running drills just to hit him. Say, boy, you don't need to cry. You don't, you know, I'll give you something to cry about. Because that's the way we were taught when we were younger. Yeah. And I thought you got to be tough. You can't show vulnerability. And to me, that's not where the power is. That's the facade and the mask I'd been wearing for so many years. Hmm. Well, what's beautiful is even with those stories that clearly there's been some work and some connection where the two of you have a relationship and he works with you and you're able to see his qualities as assets. One, that you strive to be more like, but that they help the business. And two, what I'm hearing from you, which I think is helpful is, is to hold it all loosely. It's great to have a plan. Okay, Ned, you have your thousand year plan. Great. But am I ready to make a turn at the drop of a hat if God says, actually, it's this way, right? Your son's not going to take over your business and not be so tied to Ned's plan or Gary's plan that we have a plan, but we're ready if God has anything else in store. So I like that. Is it truly God's will or is it just for my own arrogance that my kids have to take over the business or my own, you know, look what I built. Right. uh, It's God has given me this. Yeah. I mean, dude, I am so thankful to God for our business. It is provided for our family and it's such a gift. But yeah, to balance, not the, oh, I'm going to sell this and look at how awesome I am. And I'm also not going to force my kid because I built this for them, but just be grateful for the opportunity every day that it exists. Because one thing I will say, so for years, I was trying to force this business onto my son hmm. and saying, look, you need to become an engineer. I didn't have time to go to college. You need to be an engineer. You need to do this. You need to do that. And I was pushing it so much on him that it turned him away from it. Hmm. It wasn't till here recently, he actually left the company and he's went on and done other things. 
now he's come back to me and now he's wanting to look at getting his degree. Mm-hmm. And he's kicking himself in the butt because by me forcing it on him, he was just doing it out of spite not to do right. it. Right. Because it was all my will and not his. Yeah. Will. And it's like that he left and had the space and to make his own decision. I mean, the power yes. in that is incredible is to give your kid the opportunity to make their own choices. And we got to let them fall sometimes. Right. As smart as that is, because then if we make too many decisions for them, they don't know how to make their own decisions when we're not there. Right. Yeah. And that's the interesting piece of being an alpha dad, you know, business owner, consistent is you feel like, I mean, I am maybe speaking for you, but I feel like we resonate like we can see. And so we push things and I've found myself do that to my, I have one son and four daughters, you know, and so it's, I found myself pushing him. And so it's good for me to hear these conversations now because I, you know, my son's 14 and give him a little bit more space to make those choices so that it's not, it's not the Ned show and like the Ned's plan for your life. Uh, Well, speaking of 14, that's when I started my company. So at 14, I had my son on a grinder. I had him Mm. welding. I started teaching him. And I was forcing it all on him. Got it. And see, my son is a great musician. Hmm. I mean, he can pick up the guitar. He taught himself how to play. In three months, he could play whatever song you wanted to play on the guitar. He's that talented. But yet, to me, I looked at playing an instrument as weak. It's not being a man. It's not. Because hmm. these are all the these beliefs, mindsets and beliefs that society had put in at my age of what a man is. Looking back on that, I mean, I was totally wrong and totally in my own BS of what I thought a man should be. So what's made a shift for you? So like I know we're in Rise of Kings. What led you to, because a lot of times you might look at a guy who's over 40, over 50 and go just operate in the same manner the rest of his life. What was this thing that shifted you to go like, okay, I'm going to go shift in my beliefs around being a man, what it looks like to be a father, et cetera. And then what'd you do about it? Like, how'd you take action around it? Well, so we're fixing to get real here. So I was 48 years old or just right before I turned 48. I was at a point I had the business. I had the property. But yet all my kids were at odds with me because I was forcing everything on them. Hmm. Me and my wife had been separated for almost a year. We were mm-hmm. talking about getting a divorce. I was at the low. Here I had everything. I built this empire. And for what? to put walls between me, my family, and my wife, and my kids. So I put work above them, above everything. I was at the point almost just to walk away from it all. I was ready to shut the business down. I was ready just to leave, just sell the property, just walk away from it all. I was so miserable inside. I saw the Rise Up Kings. (laughs) I saw the ad two or three times, and then finally I'm like, okay, well, let me look at this thing. And the next event was on my birthday. No way. Like, okay, God, I get the picture here. (laughs) I'm going to do it. Even then, when I first saw the ad, I'm like, man, that's a bunch of wimps. I don't need any of that. I'm a man. I got this. Because there you go, that ego, that I don't need no self-help. I don't need somebody coaching me. I don't need no crap like that. Of course, God was weighing on my heart. He's like, look, I'm trying to show you if you'd just be obedient. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. But I was fighting it because my own ego was coming into play. So that was the start of me of starting to become obedient, not even knowing it. But now I'm seeing that obedience more and more and able to share that with my children. Wow. 
and to let them see me follow in obedience. That's the true test is whenever they can see me in obedience following, not by me telling them to do it. Mm. So a dude who just may happen to have stumbled upon this conversation and God's putting on his heart to make some decisions or do some things to better his life, better his family, et cetera. What would you say is that turnaround time? So from moment of doing something to seeing some of the fruits of the conversation that you and I are having right now, what's that turnaround? A year, two years? I know this will be different for everybody, but I just yeah. I want to talk about like you got to go low sometimes to then come higher than where you're at. And I think it's helpful for people to hear. For me, it took me about two, two and a half years Okay, to finally, because I was stubborn. My ego was there. When I went to the first Rise of Kings and I sat in that ice bath, I BS my way through it. I'm like, this isn't for man. These guys are a bunch of wimps. Look at them confessing <laughs> everything. I ain't doing that. I was so stubborn. And of course, God, I got this. I don't need you. I don't need to be obedient to you. I can handle my own. It's just that mentality that we, me, I say we, I used to think that I could do it all on my own hmm. and yeah. that it's my will will be done, not his will. Hmm. And the more I embrace his will, I find his will is way better than what I thought I could do. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you for sharing all that. I think that's so critical for men to hear, you know, because if we hadn't gone there, you hear the beauty of the 340 acres, you hear the beauty of the business, you hear this. And the reality is like life is messy and it takes effort and work and energy to be the man that we're called to be. And like, if anybody's listening to that, that's why they're here, right? They're here because they're trying to better themselves and become the father they know they are made to be, but maybe don't feel like they're operating at their fullest potential, which is the gift. The gift is to pursue the becoming. This is a craft and a craft you're never done. You're right. just always going. And you said it earlier, being an alpha male, it's like you always want to dominate. You want right. to you want to control the situation. Right. And we force our opinions so much on others because we feel we know what's right. Again. It's totally opposite. It's to be vulnerable, to be willing to submit to the Lord, to be willing to lead in directions that, you know, there's so many instances in my life that to not be so legalistic, because I think as alpha males, okay, look, I got to work out. I got to do this. I got to be up at this time. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to check off all this stuff. I don't do that anymore. For instance, For me to be on work on time, I have to be up at 610 in the morning. So my alarm is set at 610. That's the latest I can get up. But guess what? I never sleep till 610. If I wake up at 430 in the morning, I'll start my prayer then with God in my Bible study. Mm -hmm. If I wake up at 530, I start my prayer with God. I let the spirit lead me. And guess what? There's days when I'm tired. I sleep till 610. Interesting. I like that. I mean, that sounds pretty freeing. It is because I'm not held by a mind hmm. that, man, I missed my Bible study this morning. I'm so jacked up. What kind of Christian am I? You know, Jesus didn't have no set time when he prayed. And so I've learned to get off of that legalistic mindset and just lead by him. So there's days when I may have two hours of worship with him. And there's days when I may only have 10 minutes. Yeah. And it's not the quantity it's the quality yeah, yeah. of time. Yeah, it's good. We say that, but many of us, myself included, aren't always operating in that way. Yes. And you could sit here and read your Bible eight hours a day, seven days a week, 
that ain't going to get you any further to heaven at all. It's only by grace. No works can we do. And what does God say? When you have faith and come unto me, he just wants you to be obedient. Now, being obedient doesn't mean, okay, I got to read this many scriptures a day. I got to do this so many times a day. That's not being obedient. Right, right, right. That's being legalistic. Yeah, I could definitely find myself falling into legalistic ways because you're looking about, oh, these are my disciplines. I'm disciplined, but I like the freedom you have in that. This is what's so important. And this is more confirmation for me. Not this Sunday, but the Sunday before. My dad's been having health issues. So I wake up that morning early, Sunday morning, and I've been driving all the way to Tulsa to go to church, an hour and a half. That's how far I drive to go to church. And used to, I would feel like I'm not good enough, or if I miss a Sunday, you know, I come down Mm -hmm. on myself. Why did I miss church? Right. Well, that morning, I'm sitting there. And I'm praying, I'm doing my Bible study, and God's telling me, he says, you, you know, I feel like you just need to spend time with your wife today. Hmm. Now, here I'm battling with this. Well, but no, I got to go to church. You're supposed to go to church on Sundays. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus, I just feel the Spirit telling me, look, just spend time with your wife. So I decided not to go to church. So at 11 o'clock, when I would have been in church, I get a call from my stepmother. My dad's having a heart attack. Hmm. So I'm able to rush over and I'm there within five minutes to help call the ambulance, be there for my father, get him in the ambulance. When if I would have went to Tulsa, I would have been an hour and a half away from my father. Yeah. Yeah. You have no idea when you're obedient, what's going to come of it. Yes. So to me that God just confirmed me, he says, look, yeah, you may have thought you were there for your wife, but I had other things for you to take care of that I knew that was coming. And so things like that confirmed to me by being, and guess what? When I didn't go to church that Sunday, I quit beating myself up like, God, I'm being obedient. Right. Yeah. Because are you being obedient to the, you know, like this is what a person's supposed to do? Or are you being obedient to, am I in tune with God, a father who loves me? And so I'm paying attention. Yes. It's important. It's hard. I mean, I remember I was a youth pastor for a long time and I remember the first Easter we missed because I wasn't a youth pastor anymore. We had been just like kind of bouncing around and it was so strange. I mean, that Sunday morning we woke up, my wife was sick and I'm rushing around to get the kids ready. And I'm like, why am I doing this? I'm only doing it because it's like, what if I don't make it there? I've never missed a Sunday Easter. It was so legalistic. And it was like, I'm about to split my family up for an important day to be together. And we stayed home and we had a beautiful time connecting with each other and connecting with God versus me rushing to go do something I was supposed to do. And God says, before you witness to others, you should take care of your family first. There you go. There you go. That's where I had a sense. God felt that. And me and my wife that morning, we had a beautiful morning. We connected. Mm -hmm. We got it. It was perfect. And then yet I was there to help my dad. Yeah, that's so good. So good. I want to move to a couple of questions just to maximize our time. I want to honor that. This is interesting, but like as you became a father, what was the best resource for you? What did you turn to? I know you're making mention that you're connected with your dad now, but he wasn't around, I think, when you were growing up. See, so I would go back to my grandpa. Okay. And he was hardcore. And he was one of them ones, boy, I'll give you something to cry about. You don't need Mm -hmm. to cry If you want to have a good family, you need to work. You need to provide for your family. Work comes above everything because you need to be able to provide for your family. That's just what I was ingrained and taught. Yeah. 
So your grandfather was a good resource to you and you're a grandfather now. I think this is really important for men to hear because I think as a grandfather, this may be a huge opportunity to invest in grandkids. And like maybe some of it was a little too harsh or whatever, but we would never probably change anything. But your grandfather was there for you and had a huge influence in your life when your dad wasn't. Is that true? Correct. Yep. Because keep in mind, a lot of our kids, we're still trying to build a career. We're still trying to gain wealth. So you don't have all the time to spend with your kids. And your grandparents, who are usually set, have either experienced some wealth or they're in a spot where they have more time and they can be there and connect. And also, I think part of it is just breaking a generational curse. And I believe God has put that on me to break that generational curse of putting work above everything, Mm. putting work above family, work above God. Because my mom, my mom and dad divorced when I was young. My mom worked two jobs. We never went to church, didn't have time. She worked. Yeah. That's all I knew was work. And when she died, when I just turned 14 years old. Wow. And I was real close to my mom. Wow. That's heavy. So I figured, you know what? I'm going to live my life like my mom. I'm just going to work my butt off. I didn't worry about going to church because she didn't. And I just figured, you know what? If she went to heaven, I'll go to heaven. If she went to hell, I'll go to hell. I'll just live my life the way. You know, later I found out she was a Christian. Later I found out she was saved. Later I found out all this stuff about my mom. And I've even had dreams about her. Wow. Of her. And I think that's just more God giving me that conviction that she is in heaven. So through all that, I've learned that work, that was the generational curse that was passed down, that Satan had somehow Hmm. got. Well, what I love and what you shared, and I want men to take this, is when we think about when we become grandfathers or retirement, like, I don't know why we're so obsessed with this idea of like retirement and I don't know, golfing and doing jack crap all day. That sounds terrible. But two words you said is if I look at, okay, am I setting myself up to have freedom? Not to go like golf if you want to golf. Cool. But the point is you said two words, time and connection. Do I have time and connection to be with my grandkids? It's about being with them. Because you have the freedom if you've cultivated it, right? Do you have the freedom now at age, whatever, 60 to 80 to be with your kids? Have you taken care of your body? Have you taken care of your finances where you can invest a whole bunch into these kids? I mean, how sad for the grandparents who don't have the time or availability or aren't making it a priority. Like these are part of you and what an opportunity you have to invest in these kids. Well, see, and that's one thing. So my grandpa, he took me fishing, took me shrimping, crabbing. He did things with me. My grandpa was there and my grandma. And to be able to just be, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. And I've created this business. I don't do golf. I like to hunt. I like to fish, but guess what? I fish with my grandbaby. The other day, we were riding around the property. She was on the four-wheeler, and she just loves. We have this routine that we go through every time she comes to my house, and she was so exhausted, ready for a nap. She come to the house. I didn't even make it. As soon as I made the first little creek turn, she had fell asleep on the gas tank of the four-wheeler, and I'm just cruising around the property Mm. with her sleeping on the four-wheeler, and it's just... Gary, you know, that's beautiful, man. 
Yeah, that's what I want to set my retirement up to be. Not to play golf, not to everybody wants to go see the world and do that. No, mine is to spend time with my grandchildren. Yeah. Yeah, that's what a perfect picture. True peace, yes. Yeah, that driving around this property with a two-year-old girl with mm-hmm. her grandfather, who she's safe, she feels safe, like to as men, right? Like we talk about building these big company, we, we building all this stuff, but then you talk about a two-year-old girl trusting you asleep on your lap on a quad driving around property. I mean, what makes you feel more like you've arrived as like, I'm operating as a father on this earth? Amen. I mean, dude, remarkable, mm-hmm. remarkable. Gary, so much good stuff. Before I ask my final question, is there anything that we didn't touch on that later you're falling asleep tonight and you're like, oh, I wish I would have brought this up or that up. When you think about fatherhood or life, wisdom, grandfather, anything, is there any stories, anything that comes to mind you feel like you'd want to share before I ask my final question? I would say don't put work or money in front of your family. Because I tried buying my son's love when he was younger. Hmm. Because one, that's all I knew. I was making money, right? Yeah. Bought him a brand new bass boat because he loved to fish. We never went out on it together. Wow. I was busy working. And he actually only went out in it one time. Ended up selling the boat because all my son wanted was time with me. I was too blind to see it. It's easy to get caught up in the trap of putting work first. I would just say to try to follow the obedience of God and to be in that connection with your children. There's times when I've gone over to my kid's house. It's a work night and we just start connecting. I leave their house at two in the morning. Wow. And still got to get up and go to work the next day. Yeah. But I don't pass up them moments anytime now. My son, he has a garden and I kept asking him after I got back from the forge, hey, you want to go eat breakfast? I asked him every Saturday morning, do you want to go eat breakfast and just hang out? And he wouldn't even respond to my text. Hmm. And then finally, after about four months, he texted me back after asking every Saturday. He says, no, I'm not hungry, but you come water the garden with me. Okay. You know what my immediate reaction was? Man, I got to go to work. I ain't got time for this crap. I got more important things to do than water the Hmm. garden. Yeah. And then I'm like, no, wait a minute. That's my BS talking. I texted my son back and said, yeah, I'll come water the garden with you. I ended up spending four hours just connecting with him, heartfelt conversations, just over plants, just over life, just over, man, and that was some of the best times. And here yet, the old me would have passed that up and put work ahead of that. A couple things I noticed here that are really cool is one, four months in a row, you're pursuing him. So the consistency, like we always talk about this too. I'll pursue my kid forever. But the, yeah. the other piece to this is you're looking to pursue him in a way that worked for you, which makes sense, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're doing this. But as dads, figuring out what is important to our kids and then being okay with, it might not be important to me. Like maybe I think a garden is a waste of time right? Like, oh my gosh, this doesn't align with my let's get to breakfast for an hour or whatever. Right. So what is important to our kids and meet them where they're at? And so I love that you took that, like you were persistent. It wasn't like two months or two weeks and then you got offended. I tried, right? Yeah. And a lot of us can do that. Hey, I tried. It's on them now. Yeah. Hell no. That is your kid. This is your responsibility. Pursue them forever. 
But then ask yourself, are you pursuing them in a way that only makes sense in your head? Is there something else that's important to them that you could connect with them over? And I love that you did that. Yes. And that's the main thing is I always want to bring him up to my level Mm -hmm. when I need to get down on his level, wherever he's at. That may be above me. That may be below me. But I need to get on his level, not always bring him to my level. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, what's your level and my level? It's whatever we have said is important. But at the end of the day, you go back to the moment of the two-year-old asleep on the quad. You think like, this is a waste of time. I got to go slow. I can't get my stuff done. But if you step back further or like far enough, you go, wait a second. This is heavenly. This is holy. This is true peace, true safety true garden of Eden before the fall, like this moment. A lot of times these levels we talk about is just shit that we have said is important because whatever society and ourselves. Yes. And like you said, I mean, four hours in a garden, like all we're really trying to do to go all kind of full circle is find the time or make the time to stand in the moment, to go back to Mm -hmm. what we talked about, stand in the moment. And I think one of the biggest things is fathers, right? A father is a creator, is to create the space. So create the space of we're going to go water in the garden. We're going to go ride the quad. Don't be so forceful of what's going to happen in those moments, but create the opportunity for connection. Correct. Yeah, to be able just to welcome that space and yes. be willing to step in it, even though it doesn't align with our will. Ah, there you go. Yep. And be obedient. Yeah, how often are we kind of blindsided by our own will? You know, like I've got a plan for the day and I'm just so Mm -hmm. forcing this day and I'm missing the moments of connection because I'm choosing my will. 100%. Hmm. Hmm. And it's a fight of the flesh. It's a daily fight. And that's where I go back to Jesus says, deny our flesh and pick up our cross daily. It's a daily struggle. I struggle with it. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Here's my last question. It's a legacy question. Okay. You you, imagine 30 years from now, 30 years from now, you are peering into the homes of your kids. You know, like you've got time left, but you don't know how much time left. What is it you see playing out in these homes? And it puts a big smile on your face to go, I showed up. I made the most of this life God gave me. I would say with that of just being present and being obedient to Christ. If I could see them, if I could look in and see that they're just being obedient to the will of God and having that connection at time with family, their children, and God, that would be the legacy I would love to leave. Not a business, not not any of that. This business doesn't mean nothing. I, I learned that the hard way. I thought it was everything, and I thought it, that's what defined me. But what defines me, come here, Olivia. Oh, this, is, this is what defines me right here. This is it. Gary, I think that just the imagery of her running to your arms 
this is what men need to be pursuing, right? Yes, work. Yes, fight hard for your family. But for the sake of your family, not, you know, like you you, you go and do what you got to do so that you can show up well for your family. Gary, That's keep it. doing what you're doing, man. Keep loving your kids, your 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 grandkid, uh, your wife, and, and uh and thank you too for the time you give to help other men see their potential, see who they are. Um, the work you've done on yourself, the fact that you pass that on to others is remarkable. So it's an honor to know you, to look up to you. Uh, thank you for leading the way for men like me who, who are raising kids and will one day be grandfathers and being an inspiration to us. Uh, I look forward to continuing to get to know you and, and, and connecting with you. Same here, brother. And it's been a, it's been an honor to walk beside you during the forge and so proud of the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And just, you, just always remember to be that authentic person. That's right. That's <laughs> right. No BS. No BS. No, no BS. All right. All right Until next time. Yeah. Thank you. What another incredible conversation. I so love talking with Gary. I mean, clearly from the very beginning, I have a connection to this guy. He's spoken to my life in in more than just this moment. Uh, deeply grateful for the work he's done on himself so that he could be present for me and for you. And this really goes to show, I mean, we know the reason we're here is it's important for you and I as men to know who we are, especially in our role as fathers. And most men stumble into fatherhood. They're not invited And that's why I started the adventure of fatherhood first with a children's book, a great resource and tool to give as a gift to a new dad for him to see who he is in this child's life. And then I'm launching courses for dads. So I've got the introduction of fatherhood, the discover fatherhood, and then the 18 year roadmap course. Check those out adventureoffatherhood.com. And if you haven't already, please take a couple minutes, write a review of the podcast. If it is meaningful and beneficial to you in your life, write a review. It helps spread the word that fatherhood matters. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, What You Do Matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time. 